This is Lauren Burke. This is episode 11 of the Black Virginia News Podcast. We're going to be talking about rural politics in Virginia with the political director of Rural Ground Game, Lindley Thorne. And we're going to be talking to Jade Harris, who's running for the Senate in Virginia in District 3. A lot of people have never had someone ask them about the issues in the first place. That already gets your foot in the door with a lot of people in these rural areas because no one is listening to them on the right or the left. And so by knocking on their door, talking to them, really listening, you're already making those inroads. You're already gaining ground. And that's what it's all about. You're listening to the podcast for Black Virginia News, the first and only platform that covers all of Black Virginia. Black Virginia News is sponsored by Virginia Nation Tees. Visit VirginianationTees at Etsy.com. In this part of Virginia, what we have seen is a dramatic lack of participation support from Richmond. Richmond has to go to work for Southwest Virginia. It has not done it so far. If Democrats did just 5% better in rural areas, it would transform the political landscape across America. And that's what Dirt Road Democrats is all about. Taking on the tough races, organizing, and teaming up with candidates and state parties to take the fight to every part of our country. This is Lauren Burke with Maurice Hawkins. Uh, This is Black Virginia News. We have a really great show today on rural politics in Virginia. In 2021, (laughs) Glenn Youngkin ended up in office primarily because he focused, he really hyper-focused on the rural parts of Virginia. He edged out Terry McAuliffe by about 60,000 votes. I think that was a little bit of a surprise to everybody uh, in terms of the numbers he was able to to gain just, just in rural. And, you know, we see that there was a lot of discussion after 2021 about focusing on rural. The question is, are we doing that? Is it working? Uh, what is going on in rural? I've got two people who talk about that, uh, one of whom is running for office, Jade Harris in Senate District 3. I have the political director of Rural Ground Game, Lindley Thorne, who of course knows about these issues deeply, having to work in the rural parts of Virginia. Jade, I'm gonna start with you. You know, tell me what you're seeing out there. Tell me what you feel out there. Tell me about what people are saying to you when it comes to issues. Um, The vibe out here is a little different than you'd expect. Um, You know, you hear about a young Black woman running for office, and normally Democrats get super excited. Out here, they're a little more wary. I've gotten that not from my home committee. My home committee is amazing, but the other local committees, they're a little more wary. They're expecting more of a Tim Kaine kind of guy. A lot of people have never had someone ask them about the issues in the first place. That already gets your foot in the door with a lot of people in these rural areas because no one is listening to them on the right or the left. And so by knocking on their door, talking to them, really listening, you're already making those inroads. You're already gaining ground. And that's what it's all about. Now, when you say, you know, they're not they're not used to people talking about issues. Are you hearing anything about jobs or broadband or is it just sort of an ideological mix of I mean, we're going through a period now in our politics, particularly for the Republican Party, where they've switched from the less government Reagan style of Republican that we used to see into something completely different. That's a mix, of course, MAGA Trump Republicans, Republicans who don't really actually seem to believe in government and a little bit of a fight in their world between that crew and the old style Republican. I mean, are they even bringing up issues? Are they bringing up broadband? Are they bringing up anything? Or is it just what they heard on Fox News last night 
and that's you know that's it well you know i don't actually hear a lot about broadband but jobs i do hear that all the time i mean my dad works in manufacturing manufacturing is pretty big in this area but we need more and we need more higher paying manufacturing because right now you can go get a job and it's still only gonna be like 1350 compared to like other areas of the state where you can get a job and it might be starting pay 1750 and you know you could trump that up to like you know cost of living in this area but still there's a definite like disconnect from cost of living and then the amount of people are being paid but um jobs are a major thing i've been hearing about here um more manufacturing i was just in covington and they're talking in covington about we need more than just the paper mill you can't just say oh everyone go work at the paper mill because there aren't enough jobs for everybody and it's driving people away from their homes they're having to leave their hometowns that they've grown up in for years and years and years their family has lived here forever but they have to leave because there's nowhere for them to work and that's just the sad reality and nobody is paying attention to that especially the republicans i mean they'd rather play games they'd rather bring up stuff about culture wars They'd rather find the newest thing to focus on from Fox News instead of working towards the people's real needs, their real concerns. What worries them at night? You know, it might be fun or whatever. It might get you a couple of votes to say bad things about trans people, about people of color. But at the end of the day, these people are really concerned about their livelihoods. And make sure the work goes on to protect democracy. Elect leaders who will bring us together and restore a belief in the promise of America in the forgotten places and everywhere in between. Jay, my question for you is that, you know, we hear a lot of discussion about the culture wars and especially how well the culture wars play in in the rural parts of, you know, any, any, any state, but we're talking about Virginia right now. Um, how is that in your opinion? Like what type of messaging do you see that kind of breaks through the fog of the culture war rhetoric that we see on the right that can really bring some of those moderate voters and maybe some disaffected republicans that have been consuming the culture war rhetoric but they're starting to see that that rhetoric is not leading to results that improves their quality of life well i like to tell people everybody gets one life to live and it's up to you to decide how you want to live your life don't worry about any other people's lives. Don't worry about how your neighbors might live their lives. That's not your primary concern. Your primary concern is you and yours, right? And that does resonate with voters. And when you talk to them like that, like, hey, this isn't helping you. This might help somebody else that isn't for you per se. I don't understand why you're targeting other people and making it harder for them to live their life as they choose, because it's not your life, it's their life. And I might not be making sense right now, but I think that does make sense to voters when I do talk to them and I'm in a more like, you know, voter conscious space. This is the podcast for Black Virginia News, the first and only platform that covers all of Black Virginia. Lindley, talk to me about uh what you think rural Dems can do uh, to uh, get these votes to, are we, is this a changing, is this a switching people's minds? Is this a drawing out the people who already agree strategy? I mean, like, what is the general thought in your mind about how the Democrats should strategize in rural communities? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it feels from an emotional perspective, I think it just, it feels daunting 
it feels, it feels scary and it feels existential. And I, I think that it is. And I think electoral politics is really just one kind of narrow essential lane for addressing this, but it's not, it's not the full scope. That said, I think these problems that seem enormous and complex actually have very, very, very simple solutions. And I want to be wary about oversimplifying because I think um, really what needs to happen is we need to be committed to having conversations and being intentional about building community. That's that's what will make us resilient and accountable to each other. In terms of strategy, I think a lot of folks say, um, particularly folks, no offense, um, in, in the Beltway talking heads who are not directly living in rural communities, the thought is we're always talking to high turnout voters, right? Like I, I can get the calculus behind that. If we know that this set like fixed group of people are the ones who are the most likely to turn out and vote, then we wanna win a majority of those voters. But what that means is that we are consistently leaving behind people who are registered to vote, but just not showing up with consistency. It's not, we don't need to be in a place where we are compromising on our values where we are backing away from progressive policy solutions that working people in rural areas genuinely need to improve their lives. We need to understand that they're having to work two and three jobs to make ends meet and casting a ballot when they haven't felt connected to and part of the process and communicated with doesn't make a lot of sense to them. I'll give you just a more concrete example. Um, you know, here in the sixth congressional district, for example, for the last three cycles, there are over 300,000 registered voters who haven't voted. They missed a presidential, they missed the midterms, they missed a gubernatorial. And these are not, a lot of times I think in the political space, we'd say, well, these are unreliable voters with no small amount of like disdain for their lack of participation. These are folks who are struggling to put a roof over their head. They are working. They're working hard. They've been at it for a long time and they don't have access to some basic resources. And we have, um, through Jade's um, campaign when she ran a special, and by the way, outperformed Joe Biden by a full 20 points in her home county of Rockbridge, um, because she has a lot of credibility um, in communities she is known to them. Um, but there's a, the, these people who aren't showing up deserve our attention, deserve to have us come and not just talk to them, but listen to them. That's what's transformative. And that might be a slower process to get them to turn out. But I don't think the the answer is trying to win over Republicans by compromising on who we are. Lindley Thorne is the political director of Rural Ground Game. Lindley, this is um, Maurice again. Uh, first of all, thank you for being on the show. Uh, my second question is when I hear what you just described, it seems like there may be a deficit of empathy that needs to be integrated into our direct voter contact or, or political outreach to these these voters and do you think because there's a lack of understanding of the personal and economic challenges of that cohort of voters that have missed the last three consequential elections that we need to integrate some empathy and understanding into our voter outreach because i think you know a lot of times with campaigns they become cookie, cookie coder operations based off of the guidance we get from the consultants. You know, it's like the lowest common denominator. Let's get to the high propensity voter to turn them out and then win by X amount of percentage and that we're not even reimagining 
direct voter contact, especially in a rural space? Yeah, I'm, Maurice, you are absolutely speaking my language here. We we have to always have our, our arms around the numbers. That's just the cold hearted calculations we make around what it takes to move margins and ultimately win elections. Those numbers don't ever happen if we don't bring empathy front and center in our awareness of how to go about this work. There's just not a shortcut. There is being authentic and real and understanding that none of this is a game. Politics is deeply, deeply personal. It is your paycheck. It is your health care. It is the drainage ditch on your road, the flooding in your basement. It is all of these things. It's incredibly personal. And if we can't possess enough empathy to convey that to people in these in-person interactions, and even to Democrats in rural areas who are fighting so hard to move margins, when we hear things like rural voters don't vote their interests, or they're just dumb hicks who need to be, you know, edu better educated and told how to understand the issues, that isn't it. <laughs> we are we are then actively at cross purposes. That does not mean in any way allowing racism, transphobia, bigotry of any kind to go unchecked and not just simply um, ignored, but engaged with. But there's a way to do that that shows empathy for, for everyone, including the voter you're speaking to. You know, I think the empathy conversation sounds completely logical until you pick up a book like uh, What's the Matter with Kansas? <laughs> and you say to yourself, well, how was it that we got to this place uh, where it's so hard for Democrats to get rural votes? And to me, it goes back to the culture war. It goes back to what they, how they got those people in the first place, which I think the shorthand for that is guns, God, and gays. And I think they're just playing that same playbook again and again and again and again. They're finding somebody to hate and they're finally finding somebody to, you know, campaign against. And I'm wondering from Jade, like, are you seeing any of that? I mean, the gun issue is always front and center. And I'm somebody who the kid of a law enforcement officer who was into guns, but this was back in the era when the NRA was really about hunting. So my father was a hunter safety instructor. Uh, but now we're in this era of just having guns to have guns because it sounds cool at the range. And I just think that when we saw, you know, the, some of the activism around guns in Richmond, I said to myself, here we go again with another Republican issue where they're getting us on, they're getting Democrats on the culture war. And I think they're doing the same thing with religion to some degree. And I think they're doing the same thing with LGBT issues. So, I mean, Jade, but am I right or wrong, Jade? Are you hearing that or not? Or Um, you know, I don't hear too much about it, I guess. I don't know. That's a weird one. That's a weird yeah. one. I mean, like when you go out, like, is there an issue that keeps coming up? Uh, predominantly it's abortion really it's not any of those it's straight up abortion so like when you go out to this is the other curiosity i had i know in my uh mother's section of virginia that's rural in suffolk there's not really door knocking because the houses are so far apart <laughs> so like when you go out and knock doors are you knocking doors or are you driving okay so my district is a weird mixture it's got some urban pockets and when, you know, when you compare it to Richmond, you wouldn't consider it really urban, but it's urban enough. I mean, people have neighbors. You can like point out whole neighborhoods. It's pretty walkable until you get to like the further out parts and then you can drive to doors or you can, you know, do other forms of voter contact. 
and it, it's all just a numbers game and a distance game but whatever the case but yeah when i'm talking to voters when i'm at the farmer's market and i introduce myself they say oh yeah that's really cool that you're running but but i just can't on the abortion thing i cannot vote for a democrat because of abortion that's the number one thing they bring up it's not guns it's not god it's not gays you know there's wiggle room on that stuff but for some of these voters in this area abortion is their number one no-go they will not budge on it so Lindley, what do you say to that like the uh i mean i think it's a tough issue because it's one of those you know for a lot of people it's a yes or no there really is no gray area for that issue but you know tell me tell me what you think uh Lindley, about whether democrats can navigate that uh <laughs> i mean it, i mean we've had democrats that have tried to navigate it like democrats who are catholic and said, well, you know, I personally feel this way, but my politics is that way. But I mean, what say you, Lindley, yeah. on that? I mean, Tim Kaine has pretty, you know, a message very similar to that. And I think he does that incredibly well. I think it's a good kind of example to hold up um, for, for a lot of people with a, a faith background. Before Roe versus Wade, states could pass criminal laws to do just that, to punish women if they made the choice to terminate a pregnancy. I think you should live your moral values. But the last thing, the very last thing that government should do is have laws that would punish women who make reproductive choices. And that is the fundamental difference between a Clinton-Cain ticket and a Trump-Pence ticket that wants to punish women who make no, reproductive choices. It's, it's really not. Um, actually, know. someone that I would recommend y'all talk to at some point soon is the Democratic nominee in House District 37 in Jade's... Um, within Jade Senate District, Stephanie Clark, Reverend Stephanie Clark. Um, Stephanie is an incredibly interesting person. And at Rural Ground Game, you know, we support Democratic nominees, but we have our own internal bright lines. We have our own series of vetting questions. We will only work with candidates who want a full teaching of our history, who are going to act proactively support and protect LGBTQ plus um, community members um, and people who are actively pro pro choice. Um, you know, I don't want to speak for Stephanie, but she has an incredible way of articulating her personal, very faith-based views. But that also includes her deep, deep, deep care for other human beings. Um, to me, she seems like an incredible caretaker and as someone who has been able to recognize some faith-based challenges that come with the issue of abortion but because she's so community focused she has a lot of women that she's reached out to to be able to hear their stories and understand that you know she is firmly um in in favor of reproductive freedom but she talks about it in a way that i think is going to be very accessible to voters in her rural district and it, she's not alone i think there are other folks like her um, I can actually think of two other candidates this year um, that are top of mind that kind of fall into the same space, different approaches to the issue, but they have unique ways to come about, you know, talking about it in a way that I think rural people would be able to, to hear. Warrior of Lifeline Ministries in Bath County, Virginia. He's a growing For church. the Unity Revival came out of the prayer when George Floyd um, was um, killed by the police officer. Our whole world was in an uproar. I, I don't care what color you are. If you were black, white, Mexican, Hispanic, uh, 
biracial, uh, uh, Vietnamese, Japanese, all over the world, a Haitian, an African. The world itself was in a place where we were all Lily, uh, I want to kind of get but back to a point that you had that raised earlier about, uh, you know, direct voter engagement and the types of voters we're going after. And, you know, we hear this dynamic between persuasion versus turnout. And I think there's this mindset amongst some in the rank and file Democratic Party circles where they feel like if they're persuading Republican voters to come to their thought processes, that somehow that will help them, one, win elections, but also kind of validates their values versus thinking strategically and engaged in a surgical messaging campaign at disaffected voters, infrequent voters who could tip the balance. Because a lot of times when we look at the maps, when we look at these visualizations that we see on VPAP and other uh, online sources that track elections, and you'll see an area that's ruby red. And you know, how do we get those disaffected voters engaged you know, and, and break the perception that these areas are like these ruby, these bastions of Republicanism, Trumpism, or MAGA land, and that there are voters who don't share those values that we can try to get out and support candidates like Jade and others. Maurice Hawkins is a top political advisor and commentator based in Virginia Beach. Yeah, I think I, I very much agree. I think the persuasion that we focus on should not be persuading Republicans to change their mind. If that happens, cool. Um, but I think persuasion should be activating inactive people to feel like voting is in any way relevant to their lives and ultimately helpful to them. We can't do that without candidates like Jade Harris. And, you know, Jade's credibility rests on the fact that, you know, our our shared, uh, unfortunately, our shared member of Congress voted against um, the Infrastructure Act, the American Rescue Plan funds. Those are funds that Jade herself um, brought into her community, was able to replace lead pipes and I believe a community building roof. And I think going to be able to speak to voters and say, I care enough about you all to go out and secure the resources we need um, for our community to make these types of improvements. I think that can persuade those voters who are sitting on the sidelines. If they see something tangible and they feel that someone cares enough to make that type of change in community, I think that is a motivator to show up and, and vote. And like Jade mentioned, um, manufacturing in her community. Um, we as a party, hopefully, I see us making moves that I, I hope continue to be support supportive of labor unions and making sure that working people have a meaningful voice in their workplace. That is our history as a party. Um, and there's a lot of places all over rural Virginia that that would be game changing to people to have that type of leverage in the workplace. If they vote there, they're very likely to then vote at the ballot box for an election too. Follow Black Virginia News on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Black Virginia News and on TikTok and Twitter at Black Virginia News. Send comments and tips to blackvirginianews at gmail.com. Lauren Victoria Burke has appeared on CNN, MSNBC, 
and appears regularly on Roland Martin Unfiltered. She currently writes for Black Press USA and The Guardian. What is your two-minute speech out there? Speaking of jobs, what Lindley just mentioned, like you saw, of course, that Glenn Youngkin allowed a major manufacturing deal that could have happened in Virginia to go someplace else because of some China fear that he referenced. Are you hearing that out there? Um, you know, I wonder how much Jade of real issues you're hearing, <laughs> and what is your and what is your two-minute pitch? I mean, yeah, I've been hearing a lot about that particular factory that would have gone near Danville. And people are pissed because they don't get access to these kind of jobs. All the jobs go to Nova or Hampton Roads or the Richmond area. But we don't get much out here. We don't get much in Southside. It's kind of left behind by those in Richmond. And, you know, that's a consequence. And I'm going to say it. It's a consequence of not having effective leadership in office in Richmond. I mean, when you can skate by every election, not have to do a lot of work, not have to do a lot of leveraging negotiating because you're a republican and being having that r next to your name is your golden ticket to getting into office you're not pressured to do the work you're not pressured to do the things you need to do for your community so that's why we're not seeing jobs there that's why we're not seeing advancement because they think they can just skate on by and we've got to start changing that and to change that you need to have strong democrats running for office who are directly counteracting those kind of viewpoints those kind of inactions and when you don't have that it's bad but you know what? You do have that. And you have that here in the third district with me. I'm ready to go to work, get some more jobs here, improve our infrastructure. I mean, we've got I-81 and some of the people that have been in office for years, some people that I'm running against right now, they're not too concerned about I-81. They say they are, but there are no improvements. They say they are, but the improvement is a new lane. What is a new lane going to do when you're still having these tractor trailer accidents that are killing people, destroying whole families. I mean, we've got community members here who have lost six members of their family in one night just due to an accident on I-81. I mean, you've got to do something about that. And you, again, need strong competition to make that happen. I mean, one of those major tenets of capitalism is, you know what, the market will write itself. Competing forces in the market lead to innovation. Well, we need innovation in our politics. We need to see that principle applied there. And if it doesn't work there, I don't know that it's going to work. I wonder, just globally, <laughs> Lindley and Jade, do you feel a level of support from the party? Because my question is, are you feeling the love out there? Are you feeling the support from the party? I mean, there were a lot of, and I'm sure, I'm sure both of you saw this. So in 2021, there was a lot of traffic. We were still sort of at home during COVID on Twitter in particular, of a lot of rural folks chiming in about the you know, 2021 election and the lack of strategy. We all know about this, the, the lack of a coordinated campaign. And so I'm thinking to myself, oh good, now this will spur energy into rural. <laughs> you know, I wanna know from you guys, to the extent you can talk about this, are you feeling it or not? Serious, it is not a really specific thing about Virginia Democrats. I mean, I think this is a thing, right? So yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that takes a little, Hopefully it takes a little of the sting out in not making it Virginia specific. This is, you know, this is a, a national issue. Um, I think I think if we can't win on the moral argument that it's just morally unsound to not care about people just because they happen to live in a district that's hard to win. I think that's a pretty big blow to who we say we are and who we care about. But on just the cold hearted calculating side, 
you know, in, in a year like uh, 19, for example, a great year here in Virginia for Democrats, the average cost per vote for a metro area Democrat was over $21. Our votes here in rural Virginia and the campaigns that Rural Ground Game worked with that year were about $8 a vote. So if you're just being cold hearted and calculating about it, our media markets are cheaper, our votes cost less. Um, and if you're looking to move statewide margins, not investing at all doesn't make a lot of sense. I think the other challenge here, and I do see actual concrete positive movement in a good direction. It's not as fast as I would like for it to be. Um, but a budget is, you know, that is a moral document. That is where we say what we value. And we continue to be very, very comfortable. Just, I don't want to, I'm not going to name names here, but like there are Northern Virginia House of Delegates campaigns that will invest over, you know, $400,000 just in TV. That is enough money to fund our organization for multiple years. We can't continue to be in a place where we say everything, literally everything goes into the urban crescent and we are in full retreat in rural areas. There has got to be somewhere in the middle where we recognize that a little investment creates a coordinated, active presence. It brings professional campaigning tools and puts those in the hands of, of rural people and activates them. And we're not in a space of having, you know, a an operation that's run from the cities parachuting in their metrics, their marching orders into rural areas where campaigning in exactly the same way that they do simply does not work. There are a lot of brilliant minds. There's a massive brain trust of incredible rural people and organizers who are on the ground doing mutual aid and all types of issue-based organizing that we can tap into, but we have to facilitate that work and, and make that possible. I do see a little bit of a shift there. I definitely see a recognition of like, oh God, we should do something. Um, a lot of the time for us, that feels like, a, oh, bless your heart and a pat on the back. However, um, Senator Tim Kaine, who for whatever reason we've talked about a few times on this call, um, he did a fundraiser with us in Northern Virginia a few weeks ago. And before the event started, um, we were chatting, um, talking about Mountain Valley Pipeline and a couple of other things. And I said, Senator, can we just take a second and recognize this? This is really weird what we're doing here. This is this is new. We are literally inside the Beltway. We are standing here together in this kitchen of a Northern Virginia Democrat. And this house is about to be filled with other Northern Virginia Democrats who are here for the specific purpose of investing in rural Democratic campaigns this year. This hasn't happened before. You know, there is movement, there is recognition, and I think we are actively getting there. But I guess you being, you know, pretty much in the front lines of that battle space, uh, with Yunkin and his um, political forces. What did you observe from his campaign that was a bit innovative um, in relation to the campaigns that we saw from Ed Gillespie and um, Ken Cuccinelli? Uh, because, you know, prior to Yunkin's ascension, you know, Virginia was really starting to get this um, designation as a reliable blue state. You know, we, we, we I think we had won four consecutive presidential races going back to Obama's race in 08. You know, we'd won the governor's mansion. You know, uh, I think at that time, four out of the five elections that had taken place since the beginning of the 2000s, 
you know, you know, we had both statewide offices in the Senate, you know, congressional majority. And then Youngkin catches everyone by surprise, wins this narrow victory off the off the backs of the rural areas. What are some things that he did in 21 that we need to be prepared for in 23, 24 for the presidential and most importantly, 25 when we when we when we try to take the governor's mansion back? I don't think anybody in rural Virginia was surprised by the Yunkin win at all. Um, it was, you could feel it for, for quite a while. Um, I did my best to sound alarm bells very, very early in that cycle and try to say, I know y'all think I'm just like overreacting because of where I live, but I, you know, I'm in communication with folks in every region of Virginia and this feels like we are in trouble. Um, in my own county, for example, just a story, but this is a thing that I saw and had reported to me, you know, all over rural Virginia, a Wednesday afternoon, I'm meeting with a local member of my school board and it's one o'clock in the afternoon. We're having lunch at a picnic table outside and we hear the roar of this crowd and at the local county community building are all these food trucks and at minimum 2000 people in a parking lot in the middle of the day on a weekday because Glenn Youngkin is there and they are fired up and he was here again and again and again and again. And I think comparing him to those other statewide Republicans is it's a little tricky because I think, um, you know, I think Reagan really lit the fuse for Trumpism and what we're seeing now, I think it's, you know, it's morphed, but I think something that Republicans are incredibly good at is playing a very, very long game. And we have not been about that. And and activating folks like they are through our school boards and our boards of supervisors. I think what we assume that there's like a top of ticket, like <laughs> it's funny because I think a lot of us in the Democratic Party oppose the idea, Reagan's idea of trickle down economics, but we play politics like there's going to be a trickle down play when we have somebody at the top of the ticket. Oh, we're safe, right? Like we've got this really powerful candidate with all this money everybody further down the ballot is going to be all right. And that isn't it. I think the Republicans have played that strategy in reverse. They have worked the ground. They have activated people at a really like emotional level. And you see that in their turnout in these people getting fired up. And the reason I said, I think it's hard to compare Youngkin to, um, you know, Gillespie Cuccinelli is the, just the cultural like acceptance of the white rage that Trump just brought fully to the front. And this is something as a country we keep trying to avoid addressing, and we're going to continue to suffer unless we get to root causes, unless we activate people on the ground in and engaging on the school board and, and these smaller community actions that we need people to take. But that's how are you going to get people to do that when they can't find childcare? when you know they're they're disabled and all of the many challenges that people have just to keep their heads barely above water and then to take this on as well but we're going to have to figure out how to do it i think that we can i see a lot of opportunity for us to be able to do that but we have to stop being afraid of addressing the root causes for how we got here and we have to stop being afraid of speaking up on the issues that matter people were leaving the commonwealth of virginia now all of a sudden people are moving in. What's happened? 
Well, I think we put common sense conservative values to work in governing. And that's what Virginians elected in 2021. We lowered taxes, we streamlined regulations, we empowered parents and put them not just that at the table, the but at the head of the table. In their cultural war thing that we're dealing with is an omnipresent force in our politics right now because there's such a misrepresentation of what's actually happening as it relates to globalization, as it relates to diversity, and equity, inclusion efforts, that these things are being demonized as the rationale why. I'll just say it, you know, white voters in across the board, but white voters in rural areas feel like they're being abandoned because it's almost like the progress that we're seeing with other communities is viewed through the prism of that. If, if that Muslim family in my neighborhood is progressing, then that means that my family is regressing. And it's just know that these folks are taking advantage of the progress that we've made. And we just got to figure out how to, help them lift their progress and not be so invested in culture wars, but personal economic security and opportunity. Um, as you know, former Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax would always say, that's always, it's about economic security and opportunity for all. So gotta make sure I give him the, the proper attribution for that. <laughs> the thing is that what you just said, uh, Maurice is joined by a media that is very not ready to handle some of the aspects of uh, what Republican messaging is, which is primarily lying. Okay, so you have joined with the fact that people are taking cues from Trump's messaging and communication strategy, which is built on lying, lying that people are believing, uh, is a media that has been ill-equipped to deal with that, but that's another podcast. Uh, Jade, um, you are one of many uh gen are you considering yourself gen z or gen yeah. y gen, gen z you're gen z so you're you're one of many but incredibly you're not the youngest <laughs> which is insane but true but with all the talk that you sometimes hear about uh you know young people not participating in the political process you're an example of that not being the case you're participating in the political process big time so just tell me just to wrap up here you know what what are your uh the excitement behind that are you feeling any of that i mean are people skeptical because you're younger or is it a a uh, a thing that people are excited about i have to say that Personally, I'm excited about it. I love the fact that there's all these young people running. I wish some of you guys had been on stage at Blue Commonwealth uh, because I think we got to see that. And uh, we got to let those people get up on stage and make the Blue Commonwealth gala go viral on TikTok. You know, tell me about the youth question and, you know, what, what got you into this? What got you running for office? Okay, well, people are pretty skeptical at first. I mean, they're like, oh, you're so young. You don't know anything about politics or the world or taxes or how to take care of yourself when none of that is true whatsoever. I've already served on my town's council. I've I've been the I've been the vice mayor of my town. Let's start there. And I'm the first ever vice mayor, like not the youngest, not the first woman ever, not the first black woman, not the first black person. I mean, all of those things, yes, are true, but that's only because I was the first ever vice mayor. So I already have experience. I mean, I've formulated cig cigarette taxes. I've worked hard for the people of my town in my community. Yes, I'm only 25, but that just means I have that much energy to give and more for the future. I got involved because my community took care of me. It's a village and I wanted to give back to the village. And this is the best way I know how. 
something really important for us to recognize is that rural communities are becoming increasingly diverse. Um, there, there's a lot of great data around this. And I think recognizing that young people in particular, young rural voters vote almost an even split between the two parties. Not as many of them are voting, which is consistent across any region, really, uh, rural or urban. But we are also seeing um, that shift a little bit as well in in a, in a positive way. I think our role as rural Democrats is always going to be one, at least for now, that is distinct and challenging in ways that make us be a little scrappy. My hope is that people can recognize that when people step up to do this in rural areas, it's incredibly courageous. And it's not enough to just recruit people and ask them to step up in this very public way and carry our values and the banner of our party without then also being very deserving of nurturing and care and investment. And to have somebody like Jade step up and Charlena Jones, Greg Maxwell, Stephanie Clark, Jason Ford, a lot of these other incredible candidates running this year, we want to also make sure that their their run has a legacy, that either they're running again in the future or that we are nurturing a base of local volunteers or other future potential candidates that are going to understand that there will be an infrastructure of support for them, that they are not simply sacrificial lands or taking up space to spend down Republican dollars. No, they have their own message that is going to be heard because of who they are as individuals, because of what they represent and who they're connected to in their community. They are the connective tissue between the federal policy that the Biden administration is currently passing to implementing that on the ground in rural communities and advocating for it and our shared credibility and moving margins in a way that means we can win statewide. Anybody who thinks that rural Democrats don't matter need to better understand the makeup of the United States Senate, the Electoral College, and how we determine who sits on the Supreme Court bench. We cannot retreat from rural areas. We have allowed ourselves to do that for far too long. I think we are past that. I think we, I see us moving past that. The fact that we're even having this conversation is one of many indicators that we are getting there. So I see that um, and I really appreciate the fact that y'all are in this with us and recognizing that this is important. Um, and I, I'm really excited to see what what we will be able to move this year um, and, and how these candidates are going to transform. They will transform the political landscape here in Virginia this year, ahead of a critical year for our entire country. Okay, that was episode 11 of the Black Virginia News Podcast with Maurice Hawkins, Lindley Thorne, the political director of Rural Ground Game, and Jade Harris, who is running for the Virginia Senate in District 3 against Republican Chris Head. This is Lauren Burke. Till next time. Thank you for listening to Black Virginia News. The podcast for Black Virginia News is a product of Wynn Digital Media and is produced by the team at WDM LLC. 